0: Father, I, I, um, I am genuinely excited about this series of messages that we're preaching. And um, uh, today uh, is fantastic, not because I'm preaching it, but because it's your word. And uh, so, Lord, as we get ready to shift from what we call worship into the word, that the spirit of worship would not stop in this place. I, I pray right now, God, that every distraction in our own hearts, every distraction the enemy might want to bring to us, uh, would be would be stopped right now, God that our hearts and our minds would be clear and open and ready to receive from your word this morning, God, and that you would use this this morning to transform us individually and uh, corporately as a church, Lord that we would grow closer to the things of you and uh, that we would accomplish your purpose in our generation and uh, we thank you for that in Jesus name amen amen so um, we started a few weeks ago talking about this oddball word paga and uh I've been telling you every week we're going to talk about this word because, uh, generally speaking, the word pagah means intercession in the Old Testament. Uh, But the interesting thing about that word is that uh, when we think about what intercession is, the word pagah doesn't really have too much to do with our definition of intercession. And so uh, the last couple weeks I've been trying to lay some foundations, and today we're going to jump into this a little bit. And I want to talk about this word um, and, and lay another little bit of foundation to this. And then we're going to start talking about the different ways this is translated in the scripture. And then it, it will give us a really pretty amazing indication of what we're doing when we come together and pray and all that kind of stuff. So uh, so I want to give you my bottom line for this. And uh, we're going to we're gonna jump in. The bottom line for this is this, the spirit. Now, if you were in our last series, um, the more series about the Holy Spirit, uh, you will probably – grab onto this a little bit more than if you weren't. But we talked about, uh, for uh, several weeks, we talked about the the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and how that empowers us to live the life that God wants us to live, and also gives us the the power to be able to go out and to be a witness and to make a difference in our our community and our lives, amen? And so we were talking about being led by the Spirit, and so that kind of just rolled right over into this. Because if we want to know what it is the Spirit wants to lead us into, that's going to come through prayer, okay? Um, and it's going to come through the word. It's going to come through all the things that we need to be doing. But, but God has sort of ordained it in his purpose that, he, that we speak to him and he speaks to us through prayer and through his word, amen? And so prayer becomes more and more and more and more important to us. And so that with that in mind, the spirit-filled way is revealed when we say, let us pray, If you want to know what it is the Spirit is leading you into in your life, that's going to come through having a vibrant prayer life with God. And and, and I want to say this again. You know, some people are like, oh, you crazy people, you think you hear from God. And I say, if, if we're not hearing from God, that's the unusual thing. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and that they can respond to me and that I will lead them. And so if we're not hearing from God, that's the weird thing, okay? Now, I know that certain people make that weird. You know, with all the the ways that they, you know, oh, you know, the angels of heaven are opening to me and all that. And that can happen. I'm not saying that can't happen. But generally speaking, God's going to move through prayer in his word to speak to us and lead us. Okay, so we have to be driven to the place of prayer. And as a church, we have to create what, what, what I'm calling, just because of the way God's been leading, that I'm calling a prayer furnace that, that we, we build a furnace, a fire of prayer before God, and then God uses that to reach out and touch everyone around us and ourselves, amen? And so uh, so let me jump into this today, and I want to say this, and, and I know some will disagree, uh, but by the end of the message, I, I hope that you will agree. Um, intercession is not prayer, okay? Intercession is not prayer. Now, when I say that, the intercessors go, <gasps> because when we say intercession, or we say an intercessor. If I, if I say if somebody comes to me and says I'm an intercessor, what 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 are they saying? If I say we're, we we have a, a ministry of intercession, what is it that we're saying? Generally speaking, we're saying that we're pray we're prayer people. If I'm an intercessor, it means I'm a prayer person, right? But that's actually not what intercession means in the Scripture at all. And and I think. The reason this is important, because, you know, sometimes I preach little things and people go, now, why do you make such a big deal about that? The reason this is such a big deal is because if we don't know what intercession really is, then we don't know what it is we're doing. And and we can do all sorts of things, and and we can sing, and we can pray some prayers, and we can do all sorts of things, but we're not really interceding. Okay, And, and there's a special power that comes when we intercede. When we go into a a kind of a spirit of intercession for somebody or something, there's something special that's going on there that's different than just any kind of prayer. Because if if we identify intercession as just prayer, then when I sit down to eat and I say, Lord, you know, please bless this food to my body, then I'll say, well, I'm interceding. And I'm not really interceding. I'm just blessing the food. When I stand up and I'm, I'm worshiping, that's a form of prayer to God, and I'll say, well, I'm interceding. Now, could I be doing that in the midst of that? Yes, but if I'm singing a song, it doesn't mean I'm interceding, because intercession is a very specific thing, scripturally speaking. And if we understand what intercession is, it can actually take our prayer life to a whole nother level, but we have to understand before we get there that intercession is not prayer. Okay, and so what is intercession? Because this word pagah, when, when I say the word pagah is intercession, then the, the, what we would, you know, again, what we would do is say, well, I think that if pagah means intercession, then pagah must mean prayer. But it doesn't mean prayer. But it does mean prayer. It's weird, huh? So let's talk about that a little bit. So let's jump into this. If you happen to have your notes, point number one is this. is the in, Everybody say the in-between. God does really amazing things in the in-between, okay? God, God shakes nations in the in-between. God sets us free from addictions in the in-between. Are you hearing me, church, this morning? God, God does miracles in the in-between, okay? We, we're always like, God, get me, to the, get me to the other side. And God's like, if you want to get to the other side, you have to go through the in-between. And the in-between is where the miracles happen. Okay, and so the first point here is this, the in-between of intercession. The in between of intercession, because here's what intercession really is, okay. And this, this is in your notes. Intercession. This is just straight from the, the dictionary. Intercede means to intervene between parties with a view to reconciling differences, or it means to mediate. Now, now a lot of you guys probably know this if you've been if you've known Ann and I for a long time. But when we first got married, we were like dead broke, okay. And so we we had this piece of garbage, Ford Escort, and, and uh, I don't recommend this, Ed needs to plug his ears for a minute. But the thing leaked so bad oil, it leaked so bad that we would pour like heavy do- duty truck oil into it to try to keep it from leaking so fast. But everywhere you go, you just, like, pull into a spot, and when you pull out, there's, like, a pool of oil under it. So we're like, we, we have to get a new car, but we didn't have any money, right? Because we just we just got married, okay? I'm, I'm working as a part-time student. I was going to school and working as a part-time student at, at Coosby Export Mill, and my wife was working at Wendy's. So there's where our finances were at that time, okay? And so, so we went to this place, and um, I, I'll save the name for today, but... Um, a, a Christian a Christian owned car place and they're like, hey, we're gonna help you, we're gonna take care of you, we're gonna do all this. And and we bought a Ford Tempo. Now again, I don't know, maybe Ed needs to plug his ears. But we bought a Ford Tempo. And here's the thing. When I test Anne was at work. No, she wasn't at Wendy, she was at Best Western Hotel, working at the desk at that point. And so I I, I went by myself. My dad might have come with me, I don't remember, but we went and he we drove this Ford Tempo and it was beautiful. I mean it's beautiful, right? And we jump in it, and we start it, and we drive around, and we do all the stuff. And the only weird thing was the seat was kind of weird, but I'm like, you know, we're broke, so I can live with the seat being kind of weird and whatever. So we went and we bought this car. And when we bought this car, now I know some of you have heard this before, but for those of you that haven't, we bought this car. Now, the car lot that we bought it from, I don't know if you guys know where um, uh, Bayshore Chevron is. okay? Right across the street is Allstate Real Estate, and there's a little car lot right there. Now, that was the car lot that I bought the car at, okay? And Ann was, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't going to say that. We're live streaming now. So so that's all right, though. That's all right. So So this gives you an indication of something. My wife was working at the Best Western. I buy the car. I pull out of that lot. I drive around the block to the Best Western. I pull into the Best Western. I'm like, hey, babe, look what I did. And so she walks outside, and I get in the car, and I hit the key, and it won't start. I literally drove it around the block, and it wouldn't start. And then it just got worse from there. So the entire time we had that car, over the course of having this car, we discovered that um, it had something like 69,000 miles uh, on it, we thought. But in the discovery, we found that they had rolled the odometer back, and then he had signed my name to a paper saying that I understood that what was going on with the car. We discovered that it had been wrecked. The way I discovered it had been wrecked is because the back seat was falling out. And I was trying to figure out how to fix the back seat, and I pulled the back seat up, and it's all full of broken glass. And so we went and ran a a search, because we took a loan on it, so I didn't have the title at that point. We ran a title search on it, and we got that, and it was like, Oh, this car was wrecked. Uh, this car was a car that I'd be driving down the street, and the brakes, I can't explain this, and, and you wouldn't believe me, but it happened three times. I'd just be driving down the street, and the back brakes would go, shapoom, and they'd lock the back brakes up. The last time it happened, I was coming down the river. I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang with me. I'm coming down, I'm coming to work at like five in the morning when I was at the mill. I'm driving across the bridge that goes to Allegheny, coming into town, and that thing did it again, Shapoom, and the back wheel locked up. And, and I'm just like, and I was so mad at that point, I just jammed it to the floor, and I spun it around, and I dragged that wheel all the way across. As I got ready to turn in on East Bay Drive, we lived right there, and I was coming, and it blew the tire, and I just kept on, kept on, kept on. I'm like, I'm done with this car. I'm done with this car. Okay, so we went, we're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sue these people because they, they've shafted us so badly here. You know, I understand if you buy a used car, it might not be everything, but they lied, and they, they forged my name, and they did all kinds of stuff, so I'm going to sue them. We start going to lawyers in town. Every one we go, nobody wants to take our case because everybody's trying to sue them. So they're like, there's nothing here for us because they're getting sued left and right and up and down and all, all around the place. So we just kept trying, and we, we found this guy, and he's still here. He's pretty good. I won't say his name, but... Um, I went in, and uh, not to belabor this story, but I went in there, and uh, he's like, yeah, I'll take your case. And I'm like, cool, finally. And he opens up his law book, and his, his bookmark is like Mickey Mouse. It's like a Mickey Mouse Disney thing. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> but he's the only one. So So I'm like, this guy has no idea what he's doing, but he's the only one that will... We'll see this. Well, anyway, to make the long story short, he, he goes to them, and he's like, hey, we're going to sue you. And they were like, no, 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 you're not going to sue us and all that kind of He's like, no, we really are. And, and so he pressured them because we would, we would go to them, and, and we would say, hey, all we want is just you can have the car and you can give us our money back, and we'll call it even, right? Just let's just because you know that you've shafted us. And, I mean, I've got the paperwork right here showing that, you know, and, we, yeah, we took it to Bayshore Chevron. I'll give a shout-out to the – I'm not Chevron, uh, what, Bayshore Auto. Um, because he was the mechanic for that car lot. He was their mechanic. And he's, like, calling us on the phone going, this is no good. I'm telling you. Their own mechanic. And so he got their own mechanic. And, and he – anyway, long story made short – is that we ended up getting like twelve or $1,500 more than we paid from the, for the car. We got that back, and then we, I think we ended up having them just come and tow that car off to the thing. Now, you're like, why did you just tell me that whole story? Well, here's why. Because we needed somebody to mediate for us to do something we didn't have the power to do in and of ourselves. We were just two young, stupid kids. And, and we're just going in there, you know, I was raised by really amazing parents who were just like, you just be honest and you do the right thing and that's how you get through life. So I'm thinking, I'm going to go in here, they're going to be honest and do the right thing and we'll just move on. And they're like, no, we're not, we're not going to help you, it's all this and that and the other thing. And, and this person stepped up for us and he stepped in between us and them and what we came out with in the end was better than what we were even asking for in, in, in the first place. Okay, now, again, you might be like, "Why why are you telling me that? Because that's what intercession is. When we talk about intercession, that's what intercession is. Again, we take intercession, we say, well, it's prayer, but it's not really prayer. It's something that you do where somebody steps in between two different people in order to bring some kind of reconciliation to a situation that is keeping them apart. okay. So in any, any situation, we're not just talking about, because intercessor is a very churchy word, right? So when, we, when we're interceding, we'll say, well, that means prayer. In fact, if you look that up in, the, in some dictionaries, it's even, it says this is prayer. It's, it's a type of prayer. And, and we'll get to that in a minute. But listen to me. Whenever somebody steps in between somebody else to bring parties together, that is intercession. If you've ever had a lawyer in your life, that lawyer was your intercessor. Okay, so I know I'm, I'm driving this point, but I want to paint this picture for you. Because in Scripture, this is the kind of thing. If we go back to Ezekiel chapter 22. Now, in our discipleship groups, Ezekiel 2230 has been one of our memory verses over the last few weeks. And, and it says this. It says, I sought for a man among them to make a wall and to stand in the gap, right, before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Okay, That is a picture of God saying, I'm looking for an intercessor. See, somebody's going to get this this morning and realize this is more than just another sermon we're preaching here. Because if you look at the context of Ezekiel, because to one degree or another, if you've been in church for a while, you know standing in the gap. That's one of our cool little church phrases, right? I'm just standing in the gap. I'm standing in the gap. I'm just like, what does that mean? Well, I don't know, but I know a lot of people say it, so that's what I'm doing. I'm standing in the gap. But what you see in Ezekiel 22 is that that, uh, God actually calls Israel. He says, you are dross. If God ever says to you, you are dross, you're in a bad spot. Okay? Because dross is the stuff when you put it to the fire, that's the stuff that's not there at the end of the fire anymore. And Jesus says in Ezekiel 22, I'm about to put you, Israel, I'm about to put you through a furnace of fire, and you are dross, and you are going to melt away. And he goes on and he begins to say why this is. He says, he says, your your priests are, I mean your 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 leaders are completely corrupted. Your leaders are shedding blood for, for financial gain. Your prophets and your, your religious leaders, they're 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 prophesying lies and they're prophesying vain things that God has not said. And it says the people, your people are, are, are not taking care of those that are in need. And they're lying and they're robbing and they're doing all of these things. And God says, this is what I'm about to say is mind-blowing if you really think about what I'm going to say. Because I know for some what I'm about to say is like Christianity 101 or kind of thing for you. But if you stop and step back and think that this is how God views us, then it's quite powerful. Because after God says all of that and he says, I'm going to, you are dross. I'm going to put you through the fire and you'll be melted away. Then he says, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. What do you, what do you grab from that? Okay. What do you grab from that? What you grab from that is this. For all of the sin of Israel that God was talking about, he said, that's not really. Now, listen to me. You can go dig this out because some people will disagree and say I'm not preaching good Bible here. But go look at it. He says, for all of the sin that's going on, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to bring judgment because of the sin itself. I'm going to bring the judgment because there's nobody to stand in the gap and call out to me because of that. So God is saying to them, I'm going to come and bring judgment on the land, and there's no one to step up and say, hey, God, please don't do that. And so he says, because of that, I'm going to bring judgment on the land. Is the sin of the people like a factor? You better believe it is because they're corrupt and it's bad from top to bottom. He talks about the leaders. He talks about the religious leaders, and then he talks about the people. It's like the whole, the whole bunch of them is no good. But he said, really, in the end, that's not really why I'm bringing the judgment. I'm bringing the judgment because there's no one to stand in the in between and call out to me and say, God, please help us. Now, that's a concept that you see all over in Scripture. When when you see Abraham at Sodom, right, when we look at Sodom, what do we think of when we think of Sodom? We think, well, God rained down fire and brimstone, and maybe we think about the different sins that were being, being done there in Sodom and all those kind of different things. But one of the things that sticks out to me about that story is that Abraham saw what was coming to Sodom, and they deserved it, right? They deserved it. Okay, And so Abraham sees that, and he's like, this is not good. And he comes to God, and this is a boldness. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the, 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 the shameless boldness of coming before God in our prayer. Because we always want to come timid before God all the time. And be like, oh, God, you know, please don't squish me, but if I could come in here, then, you know, maybe I could talk to you for a minute. And, and what we're actually told in Scripture, if you look in, in Luke, when, when Jesus is talking about prayer, he says, it's like, it's like when you come to your neighbor's house at midnight and you're banging on the door saying, I've got people that have come to me and they want something to eat and I don't have anything, so you've got to help me, right? And so that, that scripture goes on, I'm just paraphrasing here. The scripture goes on and says, Not because they're necessarily friends or whatever, but because what most of our Bibles translate is shameless persistence. Like we just keep banging and banging and banging and then finally we'll talk God into listening to our prayer. Because that's how most of our translations put that. But it, that's not what the actual Greek word is there. What it means is a shameless boldness in coming. It's not a persistence in doing it and doing it and doing it. It's a boldness in coming and saying, God, here I am. And you said I could come into your presence. So here I am on behalf of the land. And I pray that you would do something here. Do you know that you have that power, anybody? Do you know that we don't have to just sit around and complain about how our country's going or how our state's going? or how our county's going, that we could actually literally go on. I'll tell you why just in one moment here. We can actually just walk right into God's presence and say, hey, God, could you do something about this? And not only can we do that, but he's looking for someone to do that. Right? And so, so when we see Abraham, and he's seeing Sodom, and, they, and they are, they're darn well deserving of the judgment that's coming. But he comes boldly to the Lord, and he says, God, would you destroy it if there was 50? Now, I don't know what Abraham's thinking here. I, I, I'd like, maybe we'll ask him when we get to heaven. But he just kind of goes, well, what about 50? But he probably knew there wasn't 50 because he knows what's going on down there. And, and God's like, well, I won't destroy it if there's 50. And he's like, well, 40? Right? It's like an auctioneer. Can I get a Can I get a 40? Can I get a 40? Can I get a thirty? Can I get a twenty? I won't destroy it for twenty. Ten? Uh, because at that point Abraham might have been thinking, at least, my some of my family's down there. Maybe we could at least deal with that, right? But in all of that, the point that I want to make here is not not what the what happened, but that Abraham was persistent in stepping in between God and Sodom and saying, I'm at least going to do something to try to stop this from coming. Moses did the same thing. When Moses is up on the mountain with God and they make the golden calf down below, God's like, Moses, just step right over here for a minute because I'm, I'm going to drop a bomb on them and just wipe them all out and I'll start over with you. Now, a lot of us, because we're we're Pretty selfish Americans sometimes, right? A lot of us would be like, cool, I'll just stand over here and when God's done, because they all deserve that anyway. By golly, if God would just drop a bomb on the White House and on the Congress and, and on Salem and all that, then everything would be great. So we'll just stand over here and we'll wait. But what was Moses' response? Moses said, God, don't do that. God, don't do it. God, save the people. God, do you want, and he starts to rationalize with God, which is always funny when you try to rationalize with God. But he's like, do you want the Egyptians to say that you brought the people out here just to kill them out in the middle? Surely you wouldn't want to do that, God. So if you read the story, and i got to hurry here, but if you read the story, you realize that God kind of cut a deal with Moses. I want you to stop and think about that because that's sacrilegious when you say that sometimes. But if you look at the story, it's as if God cut a deal with Moses and said, okay, I won't wipe them all out, but these ones that have done this, they got to go, right? Who is Moses to stand before God and, and, and tell God what he thinks he should do? Now, I'm saying something here, okay? Who is he to be able to stand before God? What, how, what is wrong with him? All of us religious people will say, well, psst, surely he must have been wrong because we have to be just humble and crawl in on our face like a bunch of no-good worms and just hope God doesn't wipe us all out. And yet when Moses stood boldly and said, God, you don't want to do this, God said, you know what, Moses, you're kind of right. Think about that for a minute. I'm going to come back to this in just a second, but ponder the fact that it was a human being that determined what happened down here on the earth. It was a human being that stood in between God and somebody else that determined the course of what happened here down on the earth. That's my, That concept is mind-blowing. Okay? Now, now listen, some people go, I, I don't think, I don't know if I believe that because it's kind of re- different than what we hear, but listen... There is no doubt that Moses, in his intercession for the people of Israel, saved them from being completely wiped out. Amen? Now, I want to bring this forward. Now, that, that's the picture of intercession. Okay? The picture of intercession is somebody that will stand. Now, this is a concept anywhere, but spiritually speaking, a scriptural intercession is when somebody will stand in between God and somebody else in order to bring a reconciliation of some kind of situation. And it's not just sin. It's not just sin. If somebody is sick, what does the word of God say? Lay hands on the sick, right? Believe that God will heal the sick. Now, I know some people say that doesn't happen anymore, but it's just not true. But anyway, that's a different story. But what is that? That somebody steps into somebody and says, God, I am here on behalf of this person, and I'm asking you to touch them and to bring healing into their body. If someone is in an addiction, we we go before God, between them and God, and we say, God, I'm praying that you will help this person get free from this addiction that they're in. If it's somebody's marriage that's falling apart, you go to God and you stand before that marriage and God, and you say, God, I'm asking you to intervene and to do something in the middle of this situation right here. You have that power, church. You have it. See what we don't understand is the power that God has given us to be able to do great things for his kingdom. Now, and here's why, which brings me into my second part here. It's not the in, it's the in between of Christ. And this this is oh man, this is so good. Okay, not because I'm preaching it, but because God is good and his plans are perfect. And we don't, we don't have God moving in our lives sometimes because we don't step into his plans the way that he's laid them out for us to step into. Okay, so we have to understand, if this is going to work in our life, if we're going to be intercessors, it's, it's going to be because of the in-between of Christ. Because you cannot pray for anyone and see them get saved. Everybody just looked at me cross-eyed. But if you're praying for somebody and you're not connecting to God in that prayer, then you're just praying to a wall. You cannot pray for anybody and see them get healed. You know, over the years, because we believe in healing, people come to me and they're like, Pastor, I need you to pray for me and heal me. And I'm like, You probably should go talk to Gail. Because I can't heal anybody. All I can do is be an intercessor. All I can do is say, God, I'm going to step in between this situation here, and I'm going to call out to you on behalf of this person so that you can come together so that we can see healing here. And the reason because your word says that that's what happens. It's all because of what Christ did. It's not because of who you are. Okay, so watch this. In Isaiah 53, 12, you guys all right? 53:12. Isaiah 53, 12, we're really it's going to get good here right now, okay? In Isaiah 53, 12, watch this. And, and again, you know that Isaiah 53, it's the awesome passage where it says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement, our peace was upon him by his stripes we were healed. Right. And, and we're all into that by stripes we're healed and and God put on him the iniquity of us all and all that. That's I'm going to show you that in a minute. Well, who knew? OK, but in the middle of that, that Old Testament prophecy about the coming of Jesus, it says in verse 12. It says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. Now, this is talking about Jesus. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he's poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Now, I want you to look at this again. What did he do? Okay, it says, he poured out his soul unto death, right? He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Which part of that is prayer? None of it, right? I mean, it's not a trick question. None of that right there has to do with prayer. It says that, that he was numbered with the transgressors, that he laid, That he poured out his life, that he died, that he did all that, and he made intercession. Now, I want you to notice there that his intercession, this is in your notes, and it's important. And, and that word intercession there, by the way, is the word paga. Okay? So when it says this, it says he made intercession for the transgressors. It's not talking about prayers that he prayed. It's talking about the death that he went through and the resurrection. This is important to understand, you guys. His intercession was not just in him praying prayers, right? Did he pray for us? Does he pray for us? He definitely does. But listen, his intercession there was not in his prayer. It was in his position. This is really good, you guys. It wasn't in his prayer. It was in his position. Jesus positioned himself in between God and man, And said, God, I know they deserve to be destroyed, but I'm going to position myself in between them. Take their sin upon me so that you will not destroy them. So therefore, they can come to you. Man, it's it's good. It's good. In fact, if you'll back up there a little bit, in verse 6, it says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I'm going I'm I'm to throw this out here and see if anybody's paying attention. When it says he laid on him the iniquity of us all, take a guess at what the word laid is. Anybody? Anybody? Paga. When the scripture says that God laid on Jesus the sin of us all, that is the word paga, and it's the same word that we see translated as intercession. Now, you're like, well, so what? What does that have to do with anything? Because it's super important. Because we see there that Jesus, his paga, his intercession, was not a prayer, it was a position. He chose to take a position between God and us. And everything that was coming at us landed on Jesus. Okay? Now that's amazing. His, his paga opened a path, this is in your notes, Christ opened a pathway to salvation. Freedom, healing, and life that was unattainable by any other means than the intercession of his life, his death, and his resurrection. If you don't get anything else, I say, just go home and chew on that for a minute. Your iniquity was laid on his shoulders. He bore that to the cross. And because of that, you're free. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. How many things are new? How many? How how can we live our life so many times stuck in our past then? When I come to Christ, when 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 I understand and I say I I Jesus, I understand that you took my iniquity on you. You took my failure upon you. You took my past upon you. You took my addiction upon you. You took my brokenness upon you. You took my hurt upon you. You took that all upon you. And if I come to you, I can leave that right there and I can become a new creation. I am not who I was before. Who I was before is pretty bad. Listen to me, the power of your testimony. I, I, whenever you hear testimonies, I love testimonies uh, because testimonies are powerful because they'll say, you know, I was in a ditch and I was addicted and I was broken and my marriage fell apart and, and all of that. But who walks away from a good testimony going, wow, that was awesome how busted up they were? No one does. The power of testimony is I was broke, I was busted, I was disgusted, I was addicted, I was, I was divorced, I was hurt. My, my mom and dad abused me. I went through all of that. But then I found Jesus, and he spun it all around for me. And now I'm not who I was back then. Now I'm somebody new, and I don't need to worry about who I was back then. You know why? Because Christ put God for you. When he went to the cross and he laid down his, he laid on, Father laid on the Son, the iniquity of us all. The Father pagod and Jesus God, and we are set free. But here's, here's that, that's amazing. We could pray on that and just go home right now and we're almost done. But listen to me. That's, the best part is it doesn't stop even there. Because his intercession did not stop with his resurrection and his ascension. He's still interceding for you right now. Watch this. In Hebrews, it says this. Hebrews 7, verse 25, it says, therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. Now, I thought about going into that word uttermost right there. But I think you can probably figure out what it means. This, this is my paraphrase. It's not from the Greek or anything. But he, he can save you to a ridiculous level. Nobody heard what I just said. He can save, because we don't run around saying the uttermost. Oh, pastor, we had cake after church, and I enjoyed it to the uttermost. Nobody says that. But if we say that cake was ridiculously good, I know what that means. Jesus saves us to ridiculous levels. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just be like, oh, I'll kind of forgive your sins. Now you crawl through life on your hands and knees, and, and you maybe, maybe just maybe, you can meet St. Peter at the gate or something, and maybe he'll let you in. No, it says in the word of God that he saves you to the uttermost. That, he, that Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly. That word abundantly means super. If you look at the word, it doesn't mean abundantly. It means super abundantly. We don't even have a way to say that. So you got to say it weirdly, super abundantly. He said, I didn't come to give you life somewhere off in the by and by. I came to give you life right now. So don't waste the life that you're living right now in your past when he's come to give you life right now. Oh, Lord, I'm just going to hang around and wait for heaven. Don't wait for heaven. He wants to bless you right now. He wants to use you right now. He wants wants your marriage to be blessed right now to take care of you right now, to lead you right now. And what a disservice we do to Jesus when we stay stuck over there in our past as if his intercession for us on the cross was not enough. He did it. It's done. It's over with. We don't walk in it because we don't understand what it is. His intercession opened a pathway to salvation. I should get back to this. All right, good. Good preaching, Pastor. All right. Hebrews 7, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Do you see that phrase, the come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them? What is the intercession? The intercession is I come to God through him. You know, now let's read one more verse and I'm going to get to this. Romans 8 34 says, Who is he who condemns? Somebody needs to hear this verse today for crying out loud. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. The question is not who is he who condemns? Well, it's the devil he condemns. That's not the question. The question is what does his condemnation have to do with who I am in Christ? So that when the enemy comes to you and says, yeah, but you know you are this, what does that have to do with who I am now, who I was? I'm I'm not that person. Well, you did that. You did this in your marriage. You did that with your kids. You did that in your job. You used to shoot this in your arm, and you used to drink that stuff, and you used to do all that. You used to sleep with that person. I, I don't know who you're talking about because that ain't who I am anymore. It's funny when I see people that I went to high school with. Isn't it a weird thing that we can see somebody that we went to high school with decades ago and we will still see them exactly as they were in high school. And they will see us exactly the same way. And so you'll walk up and you'll start to like relate on a level of who we were like you know, 30 years ago or something. And it's like so disconnected with who I am. I, I've got certain people that look at me. There, myself and Pastor Dale Hearing, we both went to high school. He's Life Change Church. We both went to high school. We went, actually we went to a lot of school together. And back in high school, if you would have said to us back then, you two are going to be pastoring a church in 2021, we both would have laughed you to to mockery. Because I don't think you'd have seen that in either one of us, and yet here we are. And when you look back on that, you say, well, this is who you were. And it's like, but that's not who I am. So when you want to throw your condemnation at me, when my own mind wants to throw condemnation at me, when the enemy wants to throw when somebody else wants to throw condemnation at me, I say, you know what? I, I'm not worried about all that because that's not who I am. I am new in Christ. And the reason I'm new in Christ is because Christ interceded for me. He stepped in between me and God. And and he did something for me that I could not do. He brought a reconciliation. He mediated my mess. I came with a mess, and he mediated that between me and God, and now me and God are good, and I can just come and hang out with him anytime I want to. He, he, he stepped into my in-between. Everybody say miracles happen in the in-between. Say that one more time. You need to grab that. Miracles happen in the in-between. Okay? Now, this, this is my last thing, and then we're going to wrap for today. Number three. The in-between of the believer. So we have the in-between of intercession, the in-between of Christ, and the in-between of the believer. Intercession is not prayer, but it is an action carried out through prayer. Intercession is not prayer, but it is an action that is carried out through prayer. Now, now watch this. In 1 Timothy two one, Therefore I exhort first all that... Now... And some of these things you can make too much of something that may not be that much. But I want you to notice here that, that Paul exhorts them to four different kinds of prayer. Because we just go, we're just going to pray. But there's four different kinds of prayer in one verse. Okay? And, and sometimes it's, it's like, oh, well, we, I think we try to overthink things and make too big of a deal about the differences between them. But I just want to point that out. Okay? He says, I urge... I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, again, not to try to, make, to split hairs too much, but generally speaking, a supplication is a petition. The word supplication means to beg, kind of. And, and many people will, will, will say that. Now, you may disagree, and that's totally cool because I'm not going to split hairs on it. But, but many people say that supplication is kind of prayer of urgency. Okay? Last night, last night, my wife got a call. We were, we were having a dinner with Patrick and Jennifer, and when we got done, we went home, and we were on our way to bed, and, and Ann got a call, J- Kaylin got a call, and there was a situation. And so they left and went to deal with that. And when they left, I went right to prayer because I didn't know what it was about. And so I just went boom. I, I wasn't planning on that prayer. I was already in bed, right, lights out. I'm on my way, but it was like, boom, I went to prayer. Okay, now, that that might be a good definition of supplication. It's a prayer of urgency. Now, you, again, you may disagree on that, and that's totally fine. And then it talks about supplications uh, and prayers, and prayers are just your general prayers. But then it says, skip over that, it says the giving of thanks, and that essentially is worship. Now, I know that I'm very much pigeonholing this, and it's much bigger than what I'm saying. I get that. I'm trying not to keep you here all day. But then it says in the middle of that, there's a different kind of prayer, which is intercession. Okay? It's intercession. And when you look at that, this is my my last point that I'm going to make. This is in your notes. And then I want to, I'm really not going to solve something today. I want to drop something on you, and then you can go home and just ponder on it. Okay? And I'm doing that on purpose because I was trying to bring a nice, tidy little end to this today. And then I'm like, "Mm, I can't really think of a way to do that. So I'm just going to say it, and then I want you to go home and work it out with God. Right? How many of you know your walk with God is more than coming to church on Sunday morning? So I'm going to throw this in your lap, and you can take it home and do something with it. Okay? God has chosen in his plan and purpose to include the church in Christ's in-between ministry of intercession. I'm going to read that one more time. God has chosen in his plan and purpose to include the church in Christ's in-between ministry of intercession. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, just, I'll just say this simply as I can because I want to get done for you guys. How many times in the scripture is there something that says if or then? Probably the most famous one that most of us know. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land, right? Now, now I want you, man, if you didn't get anything else I said today, tie into this. God says the wickedness of the land deserves judgment. But if a people will call out to me, I will turn that around. So there's this debate that we're not going to solve in the next five minutes because it's been going on for thousands of years. And the debate is the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. My answer to that is, is God sovereign? Yes. Has he given us free will? Yes. Is God going to do what he's going to do? Yes. Has God told us we can do what we want to do? Yes. And people go, that's irreconcilable. Therefore, God is not real. It's not irreconcilable. It's just that we have finite minds and we don't understand it. Because this point right here is is mind-blowing to me to understand that God has chosen to use us to determine what happens here. He's chosen you. So now that I'm telling you this, we're responsible for this. Because he's chosen every one of you in this room to be an intercessor. In in, in a church, we go, well, an intercessor is a prayer warrior. And I understand what that means. But we have to understand that to some degree, we are all intercessors. We We may not have a spiritual gift of intercession, right? That's not even actually a biblical gift. We made that one up. I know I just offended somebody. But look at it, Genesis to Revelation, there's no gift of intercessor. Okay? Now, that's not a bad thing. It just is. Because are there people that have a special gift for that kind of prayer? 100%. But what we do in the church is we say, well, April has a gift of intercession, so I'll let her intercede, and I'll go over here, and I'll sit on my backside and not do anything. And God says, no, I've chosen you. And giving you an opportunity to come before me on behalf of the land. And I might just spin a whole county around because you chose to come before me. Okay? One or two people got that. Hopefully in the next five minutes the rest of us will too. Because we don't understand the power that God has put in our hands. Not because we're worthy of it. Because we're not. We're just as much of a mess as anybody out there. But Christ put God for us. And he says, I've chosen to make you righteous. Now, what are you going to do with that gift that I've given you? Well, God, I want to come back before you. If you're on a boat and it's sinking and somebody pulls you out of the water, the right response would be then to turn around and try to pull somebody else and save them. Right? Well, I'm sure glad I got saved. I'm going to sit right here and wait for the rescue boat to come and everyone else is around me drowning. That's not a very good human being. Our response to the salvation God has given us so freely ought to be that I want to turn around and say, God, I want to stand in the gap on behalf of this land so that as many people as possible can be pulled into this lifeboat with us. Amen? So, so uh, th- this is the thing I want to drop in your lap, and then we're going to pray. Okay? The ministry of Christ's intercession, because we say when we say Christ is interceding for us, we'll say God is in heaven praying for us right now. And I guess in a technical sense, that's true. Because he does talk to the Father for us. And if you want to call that prayer, call that prayer. But his ministry of intercession is not so much about that. Okay? I'm going to say this. I'm going to pray. So you guys, you're with me, right? Okay? Okay? His ministry of intercession is that he stands in the throne room of God waiting for us to walk in. And the reality of who we are is that we walk in with our sin and our failure. I'm not I'm, I'm talking about after we're saved. Right? Going to make a distinction cuz we were a mess before we got saved but we're still a mess. So we walk into the throne room of God boldly. Cuz Hebrews says, "We have a priest who has done a work for us, and he allows us to come boldly to the throne of God. So we can come boldly, not disrespectfully, but boldly, before the throne of God. And when our mess walks into the throne of God, because I may be coming into the throne of God to pray for Cheryl. In fact, over the last weeks, we have been. I'm pretty sure some of us have been bombarding heaven for Cheryl. Cheryl right, and, and others, Becky. We come in, we say, God, there's, there's a surgery that's going to go on. We need you to step in. We need you, God, to touch him and bring healing and, and move and make it work and do all this stuff. We bombard heaven with our prayer. So Christ's ministry of intercession gives way to our ministry of intercession because I can't go in and pray for any of you Unless Christ is standing by saying, "Father, Tom's coming in again, and I know. Trust me, I know." But I plead the blood over his life, and then I walk in, and I intercede for you. God, I'm here because Tammy has a need. Well, why am I? What am I doing? I'm standing between God, and her, so that whatever that need is, might just happen because I walked into the throne room of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we have to understand that God has put a great amount of responsibility and power in our lap. And he said, I, I want you Church, I want you to believe. Now, listen, I'm going to say some nutty stuff right here. We're praying, and I'll go around in the office and lock myself in. We we were listening to this song. I heard this song this week. Who says we can't, and I'm going to mess up all the words, but who says, help me, Josh. Who says we can't have revival like Finney? No, who says we can't preach like Finney? Now, if you don't know who Finney is, He's a very famous evangelist. Thousands and thousands got saved when he preached. Who says we can't have a revival like Roberts? Evan Roberts, the Welsh Revival, and thousands and thousands of people got saved. These are just who says that we can't something like Wigglesworth, who's just a a plumber that can't even read. He gets saved radically by God, and God uses him to do miracles all over the place. We go, well, that's so awesome that Wigglesworth did that, and so awesome that Finney did that, and so awesome that Evan Roberts did that, but God could never do that through us. And it's like, why why not? Why couldn't he use any single one of you in this room to take your testimony of your mess and how he put God for you, take that to the throne room of God and pray heaven down to the earth and watch all of them come? Who says that we can't watch the homeless delivered on the streets just like that? well, you don't understand the, the socioeconomic diversities between this and this and, and their addictions and, and, and you know, the homeless veterans and, and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, all of that is true. But who says God can't just go boom and just bring them right out of it? Do you understand that God's just looking for someone with the boldness to step into that? He's not looking for smart people or else he'd have never called me to do this ever. He's just looking for someone that will be like, well, Jesus, if you did that and you said I could do this, then I'm going to do that. And I'm going to trust you to do that from what I'm doing here. We have the power to shake this entire county. Now, this really is my last thing. Often when we talk about revival, you only hear me talk about this county. And sometimes people are like, how come we don't pray for the nation all the time? Well, I do pray for the nation. But I felt a very specific call of God for our church to believe for this county so that when this county is transformed, and that begins to spread throughout, throughout, throughout. But we can't save the whole nations and all the earth, but we can work right here, and we can believe God to do miracles and signs and wonders right here. So when we come in, we sing signs and wonders and miracles, and we go, ooh, I like that. That's a good song. I don't care if you think it's a good song. I don't care if you hate it. What we're trying to say here is we need to believe God to do signs and wonders and miracles to shape a county. And he wants every one of you every one of you if you're here every week if you've never been here before If you're here sporadically and you come sometimes and you don't come sometimes, it doesn't matter who you are. He's called you to step into the gap between God and someone else, some other situation, and say, God, I'm going to contend for this person's life. I'm going to contend for their healing. I'm going to contend for their salvation. If you're looking for someone, God, Ezekiel 22, I look for someone to make a wall and stand in the gap, and I found no one, God said. But let that never be said of this county. That God would say, I looked for someone to make a wall and stand in the gap for the homeless of the county, for the addicted of the county, for the rich people who think they've got it all together of the county, for the leaders from the top to the bottom of the county. But, but, I, but I found no, oh, oh, no, wait, there's a bunch of them down there. What if that's who we were? What if on May 14th we stepped into 24 hours of prayer and worship, believing that when we come out of 24 hours, God's going to send a revival that changes everything? What if we believed that next Thursday when we gather together for our prayer meeting, that those prayers that we're going to pray are actually going to like flip things upside down? Who says we can't walk like, by people like Peter, and when our shadow falls on them, they get healed and get up? Who says we can't walk to the lame man and say, I don't have any money to give you, but just go ahead and get up and walk out of here? I think no one, I hope this is okay to say. I, I saw the, I may get myself in trouble here, but um, yesterday I saw a very cool thing, okay? I saw, I saw a very cool thing. So I, I went and I was watching Noah and uh, Andy are on the same soccer team, Okay? And Noah Noah can kick that ball like three quarters of the field. It's pretty amazing, really. So it's it's good. So anyway, but Andy was playing goalie. And the whole scrum, I don't know much about soccer. I'm learning. Okay, because our whole group is in soccer. So I'm learning. The whole everybody is standing right in front of the goal, and Andy's the goalie. Okay. And and it's like and there's like the entire team is within like 10 feet of him. And they're kicking, kicking, kicking. And someone kicks the ball, shaboom, kicked it hard. And I'm like, ooh, like that. And Andy's just like, shapow, and he catches it. And then there was nobody on the field more shocked than he was that he caught it. Because <laughs> he's like, shapow, and then his face goes. <laughs> of course, you know the crew on the side, right? The crew on the side, whoa! And then he, like, throws it, and then he's like, like, he had that the whole time. Right? It was pretty awesome, actually. I think sometimes when we pray and God moves, we're just as shocked as anybody that God actually moved. But we shouldn't be because God said, I want you to go out, and I want you to do these things. I want you to preach the gospel, and I want, I want the nations to come. I, I want I want." I want healing, I want signs, I want wonders, I want salvation, I want deliverance, I want freedom. And I'm just looking, you don't got to be special, you just got to like do it. Amen? And it starts with your intercession. When you go before God and you say, God, I want to stand in the gap. Now I want to put this challenge out to you. Who are three people in your life that are not walking with Christ right now? That you would like to see come to him, and I want to challenge you to pray, to write their names down, put them in your Bible, put them whatever, and just pray for them every day, every day, every day, every day. Not with the mindset that I'm going to do this because Pastor said so, and they're never going to get saved anyway. But but war for them. Go to war for them, and watch God start bringing it, bringing them in. And it doesn't matter if they live here they live somewhere else. It doesn't even matter because guess what? Your prayer, the same Holy Spirit is there that is here. So when you pray here, the same Holy Spirit that hears you here can carry that prayer right over there and drag them right out of the darkness. There are some addicts in your family that don't even know what's coming at them. There's some people in your family going, I don't need God. I don't need any of that stuff, whatever, whatever, whatever. They don't, they don't have any idea what's coming at them. Because when you go in, in the throne room of God and you get with God and you start calling out for them, God is going to respond. And it might be a day. It might be a month. It might be a year. For some, some, It might take years. But listen, believe God to do it. I think sometimes we don't pray because we don't believe God will do it. But we have his promise and he went to the cross to back it up. Amen. So Father, I thank you this morning. Thank you for every single person that's in this room. Lord, I believe that every person is here because you wanted them to be here to, to be a part and hear this message today. So I pray that whatever part of this message was for each individual, God that you would that you would let that come alive in them. Lord, we sing a lot about fires here in this church and I just be- pray that that intercession God, which is not prayer, but it happens through our prayer, God, would begin to burn in us more and more and more and more and more. That we would realize that when we go to prayer in, in an interceding way, God, that we are doing something very, very powerful and that lives are changed and people are set free. Addictions are broken off. Devils loose their hold off of people's lives. Salvation breaks out when we intercede because you chose it to be that way. So, Father, I pray that you would raise up a fiery army of intercessors in this church and that that would continue to spread throughout the churches of this community as well. Because it's not just about us right now. It's not just about us. It's about the body of Christ in Coos County that as we walk as one fiery army of intercessors and And uh, evangelists, Lord, that we will see this county flipped for you. And I thank you for that. Fathers, we're leaving today. I just want to pray a blessing over every person, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. You cause your face to shine on them. Lift up your countenance upon them. Be gracious and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you.